Welcome to another amazing conversation on the Pace and Freedom, a Liberty Caster podcast, and I am your host, James Pace. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe to this podcast, which you can find on many podcatchers like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, and many more. Take the time to like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter and or Instagram. Find all the links in the description below. Today, I have a very special guest for a very special conversation. With me, Rini Sandler, attorney for Duncan Limp's family. We talk about the life and its tragic end of Duncan Limp. We also discuss the disproportionate, violent use of no-knock warrants by the police and the aftermath of the events leading to Duncan's death. Of course, make sure to check out my friends at LibertyCaster, a network of content dedicated to be free and independent. With five amazing podcasts and growing, you can find news, interviews, talk shows, and more. Shout out to The Torch News with Jake and Brandon, The Exchange Podcast with Kevin Warmhold, Radio Free New York with Kevin Wilson, Voice of Liberty with Henry Connolly, The Commander's Table with Ken Armstrong, Liberty Rant with Larry Sharp, and soon to be more shows for your independent and freedom fix. Before we get started with today's conversation, I want to talk about Cash App and how you can get $5 or more for free. Cash App is the easiest way to transfer and receive money between friends and family. You can also make purchases with your free Cash App debit card anywhere Visa debit cards are accepted. With Cash App, you can also purchase and sell stock in the stock market for as little as $1 with no fees. You can also purchase and sell Bitcoin. How to earn your free $5? Download the Cash App from your app store and sign up using the referral code in the description and $5 automatically goes onto your account. Want to earn more than $5? Refer your friends and family to sign up by inviting them from your Cash App and for every one person that signs up, you earn $5 for free. Now, without further ado, enjoy this conversation. As I mentioned earlier, I have Rini Sandler with me, which is a great honor and privilege. I think with everything going on today, I really feel this conversation is more necessary than ever. After the recent tragic death of George Floyd, we get caught in this trap of believing that these sort of deaths only happens in the streets, in low-income neighborhoods, and towards minority groups. Duncan's murder, which happened a few months before George's murder, I think demonstrates that the war against the people by the state is not just towards a select group, but towards anyone that defies its will. Rennie Sandler and I discussed Duncan's amazing and kind character, how no-knock warrants is a deadly and dangerous tool used by police and can also be used by anyone that wants to hurt someone with little to no criminal evidence against them. We also talk about the piss-poor treatment of the Montgomery County Police Department towards Duncan's family after this tragic event. So, without further delay, Rini, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Rini Sandler. I am an attorney in the state of Maryland. I'm a trial attorney. I uh, went to uh, undergraduate University of Maryland, graduate school at American University, and, gra- and law school at the District of Columbia School of Law. My primary focus in my practice is criminal law. 
However, I handle a number of civil rights and other uh, large-scale pieces of civil litigation where um, someone's rights are impacted. Awesome. And for our particular podcast, we're going to be talking about a uh, specific case that you're handling right now that has drawn uh, a lot of, I would say, attention in the libertarian movement, right? We're talking about the case of Duncan Limp and the no-knock warrant that was issued and then the police got there and ended up killing uh, Duncan. So I want to hear a little bit about about Duncan a little bit. Who was he and what can you tell us about him as a person? Sure. So Duncan, I have the privilege of representing Duncan Lemp's family and uh, his girlfriend. Uh, Duncan was a 21-year-old curious intellect. He was in the computer IT world. He was, by all accounts, an absolutely brilliant young man. He was dedicated to his family, his mom, his dad, his brother, and he lived at home with them in Potomac, Maryland. Uh, he, Duncan had a longstanding girlfriend, and his girlfriend was pregnant at the time that I became familiar with the family, which was on March 12th uh, of this year, after a, a warrant was attempted to be executed on Duncan's home, and tragically in his killing and you know i was just talking about it right before we got started with this podcast and i was talking to my wife about it and just it it's so mind-blowing right that something like this could happen in such a free country as you know as far as we know this is a free country and for someone to so a little bit about this kind of the stories that we hear right within the 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 movement and what we read in articles, we hear that he, the warrant was issued due to him having firearms. He wasn't supposed to have firearms. And uh, there was anonymous call for reporting him for this. And then the police uh, comes in and, and then we all know, as you kind of already explained what happened. Right. And it's just crazy to me that somebody can just, call the police and say, Hey, this person is doing this without any, uh, real, in my mind, you don't really need any real physical evidence and the cops can go get a no knock warrant issued and come in and hurt you, kill you, whatever they want, essentially. That's what happened here. Uh, So let's, let's look at the specifics of, of this case. You have a family you have five people sleeping at 4.30 in the morning when police in a aggressive, violent manner attack Duncan Lemp's house. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. This was a no-knock warrant, and your predicate, what you just stated in terms of what the police believed, is is in fact accurate that that is what the pretext for executing this warrant was that they believed that he was a prohibited person and had some anonymous information anonymous right. think of that so going to your point of are we free i don't know because the no knock warrants and the militarization of the police and how they 
attack a house, particularly in this circumstance, really the question whether or not we are a free society and whether or not, you know, we, the police um, can be trusted. So they generally run accountable in these no-knock situations, right? You have a judge who signs off on a warrant. You have largely untested, unverified information in an affidavit. The judge takes it as true because it's signed under oath. Now, I'll tell you and your viewers right now, some of the information in that affidavit, which I finally got my hands on, is not true. Some of it were verified. Right. But you have a judge that takes this officer at face value in a warrant, unverified, signs a warrant authorizing the police to enter a house without announcing themselves. Calls for violence right right out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, and it makes me wonder, right, who who can call and report something about anything, right? You, I think about, you know, in my neighborhood alone, I've had run-ins or, you know, disagreements with my neighbors in the neighborhood for, because of whatever reason, noises, uh, you know, people mm-hmm. having junk in their front yard. And I, you know, I think it, it doesn't look right. Right. And I talk to them about it. They get mad at me and all they have to do is call the police, say, Hey, this is an anonymous call. And I think James is selling drugs, has guns that he's not supposed to have. Uh, he's beating his wife, whatever. Right. Right. And with that information alone, the police can go get a warrant from a judge and they can come in my house and shoot me, shoot my dog, accidentally hurt one of my kids. And now we're in the situation that kind of uh, Duncan Limp's family is in where they have to now prove that this was done maliciously by someone uh, for no reason, for no good reason. No, no good reason. How about pulling someone over and having a conversation with them and securing the residence at the same time, that sort of companion police tactics that they do where one unit is pulling the person over and the other unit is securing the house so that and properly execute a warrant that maximizes safety, maximizing, uh, you know, ensuring that that there's not going to be violence or the likelihood of uh, injury or death. What happened to those days where that how people and individuals and citizens were approached? That's gone. And again, largely unaccountable. They have very vast qualified immunity and there are just a number of hurdles uh, to bring cases against the police. It's not going to deter us, but, uh, you know, it's, it's frowned upon and then the police go largely unaccountable. So the, you know, there's a couple of things happening in this case. And when it gets reported, it gets reported as a red flag case. It's not a red flag case. That's not what this is. Right. Red flag cases are where the police or um, citizens in our, in Maryland, they're called ERPOs, extreme risk protective orders. That's not what this case was. Those are to take guns away from someone in a mental health crisis or in some emergency. Not this case. It was, it's been reported as a red flag case because it's similar. This case is a no knock warrant period. No knock warrants, uh, have been tested in the courts and been permitted. They evolved out of the need to have law enforcement protect evidence largely in drug cases. But 
you know, we've seen drug uh, no-knock warrants recently in the Paul Manafort case, for example, and it was scrutinized in that case. And was that necessary? Was that a disproportionate amount of force used? What was he going to do, flush his laptop? That's what they were after. So, you know, we start to think of these things and rights that are infringed by the no-knock warrant. Two states, I think it's important, have changed the no-knock warrant status to and by legislation. So Georgia and Utah, you, you can only do them in certain circumstances. My state, unfortunately, Maryland, it's almost a free ticket for police to be able to enter in this way. Before we go, because I want to hear a little bit more about, because I think a lot of people cannot fathom why would somebody like Duncan Lemp, from what we know about him, would receive such a, as you said, a disproportionate like, amount of force. Right. Uh, right. But let's just, I mean, for me, I think about no-knock warrants. I think about the disproportionate amount of force that police uses, and it reminds me of Nazi Germany. Right. You know, when the Gestapo would just go into people's homes without warning, without, and with so much violence and kill people that they did not like for whatever reason. And I don't know if that's the case with Duncan, if it was the police didn't like him or they just had this different idea about him that led them to commit the, uh, the actions that they committed. But let's go back to why Duncan received uh, a no-knock warrant or why it was issued sure. for him. Uh, again, anonymous call, right. red flag report. But what made it for that he wasn't allowed to supposedly own guns or that the police had to go and confiscate his guns? What was the reasoning behind that? So what the police relied on and what I'm comfortable um, talking about now, and perhaps we come back and, and talk about it more when, when we can more fully, was the police belief that he was a prohibited person. Um, a person's juvenile records or juvenile status in the state in Maryland uh, are confidential. They're sealed. That's not something I can discuss. Uh, no attorney can. Uh, but I will tell you that uh, one of the primary prongs that they relied on here, sort of a two-part or three-part analysis, and I've had the benefit of reviewing the affidavit, so I'm going parse my words. Uh, one of them is absolutely false. Absolutely not true. There's another part that's partly accurate, and we're in the process of getting some more information about that. And then there's a third that's within this exclusive sort of domain of the police, and we're investigating as well. But I can tell you that sort of their lead uh, first prong, it's just not true. It's not true. And it's, it's, it's very, very um, frustrating as an attorney. Who, who I deal in facts, I deal in the truth, no. uh, I deal in statutes, and this one's clear to me. Right. And it's just unfortunate that that was pre presented to the judge. You have to wonder, what impact did that first piece have on the second and the third? Right. A judge, a judge is relying on the word under oath of an officer. Right. So, so there's no... You know, there's no verification system. Right. And it's, it's frankly maddening. It, but look, I want to share something with you that I, I 
has not really been reported. Okay. The family has been rejected at every pass. So think about this. The police come in like the Gestapo, as, as your this was, kill their family member. Her girlfriend's sleeping next to him. They're sleeping when police make entry, when police begin. She's pregnant. I don't know how she wasn't hit, to be honest, where she was. They attack. He Duncan's killed almost right away. March 12th, we have gotten nothing from the police. They've denied our request, refused our request to meet, provided us with no information, threaten the parents of arrest if they attend a peaceful protest on behalf of gun violence and their son. What kind of world are we living in? And and so I look and I scrutinize the conduct post-killing. Right. And then I look at it pre-killing, and it it just makes me shake my head. Yeah, same here. And, like, I guess that's where uh, I would like to kind of go into what – I mean, in this part of town, right, I'm assuming, I don't know how big this town is. Is it a small town? Is it, you know, does everybody know everybody? Does anybody know anybody? And, you know, uh, it's just, it seems to me there, and I know you can't speak of this. I know you only talk on facts, but it seems to me there was some sort of relationship in the community that must have triggered the police to think, that to have that hatred because this seems very hateful in a way of a manner that they go into the, his home, right. Um, to commit these acts, there has to be some sort of uh, anger or some sort of, you know, if we think about a criminal case where a, a, a murderer kills somebody, normally the motive is usually uh, anger or um, retaliation or something like that. Right. And it, when we talk about the police, nobody ever thinks about this, right? There, what, well, what is the police's motive to kill somebody unjustly? Well, right? Do you need a motive? I can't, I can't speak to the motivation of the police. Uh, you know, I have police friends. I was a prosecutor in uh, many years ago. I can tell you that, you know, this is their, this is their job. They are focused on a target. They believe that this target is bad and they're going to confiscate guns or whatever. Um, something went terribly wrong here, terribly, tragically, horribly wrong. And I don't know why, but let me, let me say this again, looking at the, the conduct here of how this family, this family wasn't the target. Right. Why are they not getting a meeting with the chief of police? So I want to go back to what you said about the town. I'm born and raised here. Right. I went through school here, went locally, University of Maryland. I, raise my kids here. I know this county, Montgomery County, inside out and backwards. It's been my entire life. The area where Duncan resides, it's an incredibly affluent area, Potomac, Maryland. Uh, Educated, professionals, uh, quiet. Uh, Montgomery County is, I think, the largest jurisdiction. We're still under a stay-at-home order here because we have so many COVID cases. Um, But no, everybody doesn't know everybody, but it's a big suburban affluent area, particularly where he lived. It, it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't. I want to, I have uh, a video of, the, of a news network that I'm going to share and kind of, I want to 
I guess what I'm trying to do with the video is just get the listeners and the viewers to kind of get the feel what this neighborhood is like, right? Because we see pictures of the neighborhood and of his home. So let me kind of play this and you can tell me, you kind of explain a little bit what, you know, what you see in this video. So you're starting to see on the video um, local reporting of uh, St. James Road where or Avenue where is where Duncan's home is. Again, quiet neighborhood. Um, and important to note, the police never put a press release out that day. It was it was reported by a neighbor. Uh, police uh, forensics coming in to look at the scene. Very quiet neighborhood. All the neighbors in this general area know each other. They walk dogs together. This is the garage area. This is the girlfriend's car, which they later took by uh, search warrant for reasons we don't even know. This is the front of the house, and that's the front door, which is the red. Uh, that's the girlfriend's car being taken. Again, front of the house. And as you're approaching here, that's the bedroom window that was shot through. So on the other side of that window is where Duncan and his girlfriend were sleeping. I mean feet, just a few feet from there. Three and a half feet right from that window. Window, if you can imagine, glass everywhere on the side uh, clearly came from the outside. And the rest of it is just the reporter talking. Uh, yeah, and... So we see that home, we see this neighborhood. It seems like it would normally be a quiet neighborhood. You would never see news press there. You would never see anything like this, right? And um, so I have a picture up right now, the front of the house. I don't know when this picture was taken. I was just able to find it. Um, but it was taken, that picture was taken the first day, okay. if not the second day, because you see the, uh, the boarding up. We actually did that. Okay. Uh, so that uh, that window, again, the two windows in the front, uh, that was a garage that was converted into a bedroom. And that is uh, Duncan's bedroom on the other side of that. Um, so the bed where you see the broken window, the bed is about three and a half feet, I would say, from the end of the bed where the girlfriend was. And then Duncan was on the other side of her. It, it's... I can only imagine the the fear and the overwhelming feeling of the girlfriend as all of this is unfolding. You know, it. it I can only imagine all this. You know, I served in the military for for fourteen years, and oh, thank you for your service. Thank you, and uh, you know, I remember when we would have to do training and clearing out rooms and um, going in and stuff and. I I remember going through these trainings and going through these exercises, right? And they would tell us at the end of the exercise how long it lasted, right? But in the moment, right, and it would last a minute, 30 seconds, right? Mm -hmm. The whole unfolding of this exercise where you go in from the beginning of the, the, um, the exercise and of the kind of the setup that they have where you have to go in the building and come out the other end and, and clear the entire building minute 30 seconds passes but during while you're in there and all that adrenaline and everything is unfolding and you're hearing shots and you're hearing um flash bombs and it it feels like you're there forever 
it really feels like you were there for an hour and 30 minutes instead of a minute and 30 seconds. You know, I can only imagine what that must have been for her, you know, as everything is unfolding. Terror, um, sheer she, terror. They exactly. no idea what was happening. Right. And, and again, her, she's laying next to the target and sleeping at 4.30. Others in the home. I mean, what is this? Right. A di- absolute just disproportionate level of force for what, for the exercise they were trying to carry out. Right. A- absolutely disproportionate. So, um, and the family members all put into handcuffs, just a traumatic, horrendous. Something event. that you would only see in a old, uh, you know, Nazi movie or an old like Soviet movie, right? of World War Two or whatever. It's there was an, another case on I don't know if your viewers have co- have have watched or you've covered is that Brianna Taylor case, which happened right around the time of, of Duncan's case, where no knock, she was killed and uh her boyfriend had a grabbed a firearm and, and thought they were being broken into and shot back. And right was charged with attempted murder on the police. Right. Yeah, I have. And I know it was a, a lot of mix up because it happened so, so closely of, yes. you know, what was what. Exactly. Um, but again, another death, the young person and just unnecessary. Exactly. We kind of talked about no knock warrants, what they are. I just don't ever see where it is necessary for a no knock warrant. Right. You get a report that somebody's doing something wrong, that somebody's doing something that they're not supposed to do. Wouldn't it be the safest way, the most logical way to just get a warrant for this person's collaboration, right? Wait until they come out of their home, go on their way to work, on their way to the grocery store or whatever, pull them over, and take them into custody if they were, you know, a danger and show them the warrant. Say, hey, we have this warrant to go into your home and search for these things. And then we're going to take you in for questioning. And nobody gets hurt. Sure. A- absolutely. Low likelihood of uh, violence or of injury, certainly death. And as I was uh, uh, telling you earlier, you have a team at the house. You have to secure the house and you have a team that's doing, you know, is radioed to, to pull the person over. That's how it's supposed to be done. But, but instead they, they execute these warrants between one and four thirty five in the morning. High likelihood people are home sleeping, catch them by surprise. Now remember the, the whole premise of a no knock originated from drug dealers and drugs and, and disposal of evidence quickly. Right. It's just very unlikely. Again, and I was using the Manafort situation as an example of a laptop, right. but he, uh, guns, you're not flushing guns. Right. You're not so, throwing it into the garbage disposal or you wouldn't have enough time to bury them, you know? No, no. drugs. That's where they, that's, that's where they evolved from. And right. so I, 
stand getting rid of evidence quickly, but um, not in this scenario, certainly. An interesting uh, thing for your uh, viewers and, and for you, I think the statistic is something like 40% of Americans own guns or some firearm. It might even be higher at this point with the pandemic. Right. Uh, these no-knock warrants really run afoul of the Castle Doctrine. You learned about the Castle Doctrine in the George Zimmerman case from years right. ago for that. And, and you, you learned about, uh, you hear it like in Florida, it's a big, uh, right there. And the Second Amendment, I mean, these things all intertwine together. And you have to wonder where our rights begin and end. Right. I think that poses a, a great question, right? Because, I mean, here we are with this, with this violation of um, the red flag law in itself, right, in your state seems that it's very loose, where anything, people can say anything about you. And that justifies to get your guns taken away, right? Uh, it, it seems like, and you don't really have to have any verified, um, evidence of truth that why this person should not have a gun. So, well, let me, let me stop you on that because I am a, I am a stickler for just <laughs> that. See, remember, if a yeah. person petitions, uh, for an ERPO in our state, the extremist protective order, the person has to swear under oath that it's true. Right. Whether or not it is, is subject to a hearing seven days later. But in that seven day period, those guns are gone. Uh, they're right. gone. So, um, there is a level of proof and then the, and the proof is clear and convincing evidence. So you have the reasonable doubt for criminal and then you have a clear and convincing, which is below that. And whoever is petitioning has to meet that standard of proof. Um, I've had them where we've been successful and we've won because right. they meet that standard. And, but, uh, you know, it's been that invasion again on this person's life coming into the house, busting in, taking their guns. Horrifying. Right. Well, and I mean, the no knock warrant, like you said, going in and the disproportionate uh, amount of force, right? It kind of right. it makes the, the, the red flag law kind of pointless right because now you already killed the person that you were going to take away the guns from so now what's the point of proving that this person was allowed to have the guns or not um they taken out well, that's their, supposed their, to come before right right <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> so, so it, it's a bit backwards here but look i, I think the no-knock concepts invite chaos and disaster and right. certainly increases the likelihood of harm uh, on the receiving end here, uh, which we've seen, we've seen over and over uh, throughout the country. Right. So we talked about, you know, post death of Duncan, where his family is treated just absolutely with no empathy, it feels like whatsoever, right? And right. they threatened them to, and I got the letter that you emailed me, they threatened them to have them arrested if they show up to this peaceful protest disguising it in the oh well because of COVID-19 right we have a governor's order so if you show up we have justification to uh, essentially arrest you right kind of right I mean what has there been more retaliation also from the cops for towards Duncan's family in their pursuit of looking for the truth and, and trying to get the truth out there 
I, I wouldn't say retaliation. That's not the right word, but I would say that they've been um, non-responsive. They've treated the family like criminals. Uh, they're victims of, of a crime that occurred in their home right. against a child and loved one. Um, so they've been, they've lacked sympathy. They've lacked empathy. They've lacked any concern whatsoever for the well-being of that family and by their actions. And, and I just have to tell you, when I received that letter from the county attorney, Haley Roberts, I was, I was shocked. I, I was, I was truly shocked that, that the county with everything that's going on with this pandemic and the world and notwithstanding that our governor right. said he would not enforce his orders at peaceful protests, that we would get a letter essentially threatening his family if they attended a protest on behalf of their murdered son. That yeah. to me, just beyond pale. Right. It, it just, to me, right, you would think that any person in their right mind would catch on to this story, right? Catch on to what had happened, what transpired during the time, what transpired after, and say, there, there's something wrong here. There's something not right. Not, something's not adding up. And it should take media by a, a storm, right? Everybody would be like, oh my gosh, what's going on here? What happened to right. this person? This is, you know, we need, we want the truth. It seems like the only area of that has been interested in this story is the libertarian kind of movement. I would agree with that. I mean, mainstream media has picked it up. We've also been selective um, in, in who we have spoken to to some extent. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Right. Um, I've declined a lot of invitations uh, because I don't want them to sensationalize the case in a way that's inaccurate. Right. Um, and I also have been desperately trying to get the facts and get the information from the police uh, as to what they relied on. And we're just starting to get that information now. Right. So, you know, it's been a real process for us. But the timing of this, unfortunately, was right at the time where things were happening in the world. True. I know it's not in our like talking points, but you mentioned something I, I just want to kind of ask. Uh, you said, you know, a lot of getting into the mass media and it might be portrayed in different, you know, a way that what didn't happen or might be sensationalized. And that's something in the little bit that it has gone out, I have noticed when I would do searches of um, Duncan Lent, you'll get different like titles, right? And mm -hmm. one might say, uh, man killed by police. Another one would say armed man killed by police. Another one says uh, it just changes depending on the right. agenda, right? So that's exactly I, right. Right, and I and now you saying that I think you know for the listeners they can think, wow, uh, you know, imagine what somebody like CNN would be saying about this, right? Or somebody by Fox News would be saying about this. They're going to exactly. change the story. So not not outlets that we chose to participate in, right? So. You know, one day maybe, I don't know, but not something we've chosen to do up to this point. And I will say the, the, the libertarian outlets, um, you know, the and conservative, 
um, uh, podcasts or, or uh, journalists uh, like yourself um, have been, have been fair. They've been accurate and we appreciate that very much. Um, this is a 21 year old young person who had the entire world ahead of him and was killed in his own home in his bedroom. Right. Deserves respect in, in the, and truth in the way it's reported. Absolutely. One of the things I also wanted to kind of cover and we covered it yet or not. Let me kind of go back here a little bit if it was answered, but, um, we talked about Duncan's life. He was, uh, you know, I believe we mentioned that he was a, uh, software engineer, right? By trade. Somebody that you would just not imagine being a threat to anybody, but he was just acting on his, uh, amendment, you know, uh, second amendment. You know, if he had guns, it's his right. Uh, wasn't a harm or threat to anybody. This anonymous call comes in. What, I mean, what kind of threat did this anonymous call thought that he was? Why did, why would that person think that he was a threat just because he owned guns? I can't, I can't speak to it. I, I don't um, have that information to share. Unfortunately, you know, people have different motivations for creating uh, narratives. And I don't know what this person's motivation was. Right. Know that this person exists. It's some anonymous right now. So I have, I guess my question more is, and let me go back a little bit is to Duncan's character. I mean, there was nothing in his character that would. No. Consider it being a threat. Duncan, by all accounts, was again. He would. He was uh, interested in things to make him more knowledgeable, to make him better as a human being. He had other interests, but he was not some. He was passive. He right. was not. Uh, he believed in the Constitution. Something that just was was taken completely out of context was one of his posts about the constitution. That was a, actually a positive post. The constitution is dead. You may have seen that on. Yes. That was a concern for civil liberties, not someone interested in a civil war uh, in the malicious sense. That was not Duncan. That's something that was mischaracterized, but, but no passive person, uh, someone who loved his family uh, loved his girlfriend, enjoyed what he enjoyed, but did it peacefully. And got everything taken away from him. He was going to be a father and, um, right. you know, and, and now this child, it, you know, they stole something from this child as well. Yeah. I mean, you have that right. It's a, again, a very, very tragic, what do you tell a child about your dad? Right. What happened to him. Exactly. Um, you know, a lot of libertarians, as you said, this is big in the libertarian movement. A lot of libertarians are very honest about what's going about this, are trying to be as honest uh, as possible and not kind of played into a agenda for anything other than what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, what can people, libertarian or not, do to kind of help, uh, help the family, uh, help the case? Um, where can they show support? Well, first of all, let me say that we have received emails, calls from really all over the country 
uh, some from out of the country. And the family, I pass everything on to the family and appreciate that support. Uh, there's a GoFundMe page for the family. Um, make sure it's the, the GoFundMe that is Maria Lemp. That is the mom. And, uh, and she is, that is a legitimate GoFundMe account. Uh, that will help the family continue their fight. Uh, reach out to me, send me an email. I will forward it on to the family and they'll respond if would like. Um, but we do appreciate all, all of the comments and even some of the negative ones. <laughs> The, it, it creates a, a discussion, right? And um, does. so, and I'll make sure to have all the right information in the description. I'll get that from you as well. And, sure. you know, we'll, we'll put it on the show description. I would, I want to say, you know, it's kind of difficult to just imagine what the family is going through. And one thing I think I would ask my listeners, and I think you brought up a good point, you know, email you and not, um, I can only imagine how much, attention this has drawn to the family that they never imagined getting. And it's in a sense, unwanted attention that was brought to them. So um, I think that would be one thing I would ask. Cause I, I listen to podcasts, a lot of libertarian podcasts, a lot of conservative podcasts where they'll talk about the family. Um, and I've heard a few that would say, Oh, we try to contact the family. I think they need to give the, them their space and, and they never asked for this attention. So. No, and it's it has not been the right time. They are grieving a tragic, tragic loss, and they have not been ready uh, to to go on camera or to provide uh, statements in any comprehensive way. They will, and they will in time, and we'll we'll let you know when they're ready. Absolutely, thank you so much, and thank you, Rainy, for for being on the podcast. Um, I just it. It's a great honor to have you. I've, I've kind of looked into your, you know, your, your law, uh, website and I see that you're doing a lot of good for a lot of people. You stand up for this, for civil rights and for, um, everything that we think about in the libertarian movement. I think a lot of people get us wrong. They see us as these people that just want to go against government and with guns blazing and we're far from that uh we believe in the non-aggression principle and, and we believe that that's our core foundation there and I, I i guess that goes into duncan's character of you know yes he saw something wrong with the system but he would have never you know he's not a threat he believed in in the non-aggression principle so thank you so much for, for thank the- you yeah. Appreciate it. And um, uh, thanks for the opportunity. No, thank you. All right. Thanks, Steve.